Hello and welcome to Q&A episode 189. I'm your host, Mike Apps, a.k.a. Wheels, and with me as always... Defender of Dynatron City, David Bernie Fenwellnaster. The guy who actually gets that reference, Michael Baker, <laughs> Gaijin Minogatari. I'm glad I'm glad there was some. <laughs> but which character would you be? The crazy, uh, the uh, macho guy with the head that shoot, literally fires itself off, or the monkey? Listen, I feel that's for you guys to decide. We can have that as a question later. <laughs> but yes, I remember seeing that on Saturday morning television a couple times. Yeah. Yeah. Always kind of disappointed that they never made a series out of it. It was uh, apparently, like, it was originally a video game that LucasArts put out, and it was conceived by the guy who created Sam and Max, which explains, explains a lot. <laughs> But yeah, never got picked up, so... Yeah. Just I just saw the pilot on TV a few times. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So, how's, how have people been? How have we been? Wonderful. Well, if you hear strange noises from over here, it's because I am currently bubble-wrapping a Switch controller. That sounds like you're sending one in. Yes, it is. It's Are finally because... given up. Joy cons. Oh, no, I tried the. Um, I, I tried. What's um, right? We heard the uh, not adjustment, but alignment. Mm-hmm. Like uh, trying to fix or trying to. Um, words failing me right now. Um, the thing that you can do to try and convince the controller to work again. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Except um, after holding the button to the right for five minutes and the cursor not moving. Okay. Yeah, that's over. Because it was pulling so hard to the left yeah, yeah. i think that uh yeah you're just gonna have to give up on that yeah so when did it hit this uh particularly dire straight oh it's been edging that way for a while but uh probably sometime in the middle of playing remalore mm, that makes sense yeah i mean i uh, had issues with it occasionally during batbarian hence hmm. the occasionally walking off a cliff part um but uh, no it That's just got part. worse and worse and since at this point it's actually interfering with an Atelier game, that's how bad it's getting. Now I cannot stand. Yeah. On the bright side, this means like you're not in America, so you don't have to wait for it to spend like five days going across the country back and forth over and over. So. Yeah. That's that's something. So, yep. Yeah. I unfortunately I kind of uh, forgot to mail the the form to myself to print out at work today. So I'm going to have to print it out tomorrow and mail it tomorrow. That's a shame. Yeah. So I take it fewer switch games for you for the time being. <laughs> oh yeah. But hey, I've got, I still have several three DS DS and Vita games to go through. Nice. Oh yeah. No, I 100% believe that you will never run out of weird old handheld games to play. But yeah. I mean, that includes like both of the DS Zeldas. I just finally picked them up cause I'd never actually played them. I wonder how much those run you nowadays. About eight bucks each. That makes sense. I got them on probably, sale, actually. I probably wouldn't pay more than that for Phantom Hourglass, and I never played Spirit Tracks. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, but yeah, so I am not sure what I'm playing next. I'm probably going to finish up Hero Bank first. Take that hero to the bank. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> um, but I, I've told you about that one before, right? Uh, the name's familiar, but I couldn't the, say precisely what it was. The, the creative mind behind the Yakuza series decided to make 
a an incredibly shonen manga game about online prize fighting. Okay, I'm into it. With um, with many many technical references to um, professional wrestling. Yes, very yes. into this. And everything is based off of how much money you can grab. Like literally, the audience will throw money onto like the onto the you know, or into the ring, and you have to grab it to power your attacks. Nice. Apparently, it has at least one sequel. Yes, I grabbed both of them for five bucks each. Not bad. Yeah. Also, it has one of the most beautifully malformed English Wikipedia pages I've ever seen. <laughs> I would believe <laughs> that. The info box is just broken. I'm curious how long it's been like this. I I would legitimately believe years. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it's a weird, weird game that, amazingly enough, plays a lot like Metabots. Uh, no, I know people in our audience in, that would be interested in a game that in, plays like Metabots. <laughs> in certain ways, it's in certain ways it really resembles a Metabots game. Until you get to the battle and it's running around an actual wrestling ring. That's, that's, a, that's a good thing. Yeah. So actually, honestly, it's an improvement over Metabot 7, 8, 9. Or at least 7 <laughs> and 8. I haven't actually tried 9. But how does it compare to the horny Metabots? What? How does it compare to the horny Metabots? I just remember one of the last ones of those being about, like, what if the Metabots were girls and they didn't, like, wear clothes? Oh, that was one of the action game spinoffs. I haven't tried ah, that. Okay. So you didn't have to suffer that one. <laughs> Not yet. I might eventually. Um, but no, that was one of the action game Metabots. Gotcha. gotcha. Yeah. So, um, honestly, my favorite Metabots is the DS game. Happens a lot, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. Oops, and I just realized I'm taping this box up. I haven't actually put the invoice in it yet. That seems important. Yes, yeah, so, okay, tape comes off. Okay. Finish this later. That'll be fine. Yeah. And so I presume that... Uh, well, I'll be excited to hear more about uh, Hero Bank. Yeah. Uh, what have you been up to, Wheels? What have you been playing? Uh, are you ready for more complaining about Demon Souls? Oh, am I? Because I got more. Oh, no. Uh, I mean, that's a game that was designed to be complained about, though. Sure, but... yeah, Usually it's a much more fond kind of complaining. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> this is really hard, but in a good way. Like, this challenges you to learn the game and do better. Um, not so much with uh, what I'm having trouble with. So, uh... I think, Dave, you mentioned previously about the terrible world tendency system, which, yeah, yeah. to be honest, in the past, I haven't really had too many run-ins with, and now I have. Uh, so I kind of have to, to to fully describe the picture of what the issue is here. I kind of have to describe this whole, the whole level I'm in and how what I'm dealing with with the world tendency system kind of ruins it. So... Uh, people who've played Demon Souls um, will know what I'm talking about when I say 4-2, but uh, World 4-2 is um, a... It's, it's a swap! 
No, that's not the swamp. That's five. Oh, that's not the swamp. No, okay. I have completed the I swamp. Five, too. Yeah. So four two is one of the manta ray levels. Oh. Uh, which that part of it I no longer have to deal with because I found out that if you put on the thieves ring that makes enemies detect you less, uh, they don't seem to fire on you. Um, Good. Maybe it's just less, but yeah. So It's less enough for it to be helpful. Yeah. So this is an annoying level because it's, it's not that any like encounter in it is necessarily super difficult. They're all actually relatively doable it's just it's a string it's a string of such encounters and if you mess up any one of them obviously you have to do the whole thing over again and there's no shortcuts to unlock so it you start with a summoning a guy that summons a bunch of ghosts which is actually pretty easy and this one you can actually skip if you just drop down and run out into a cliff so then there's a cliff side with five skeletons none individually which is very annoying but together it can be it can be tough if you screw up again like i said it's not really hard on its own but it's just like if you screw up once you have to start the whole thing over again then you get to another area with a guy summoning ghosts kind of cumulative yes another guy another guy summoning ghosts and this one is also easy because you can basically run by two ghosts hit the hit the guy once knock him down a cliff and then everything's dead and then from there it's you're kind of good because it's just an empty cliffside and then straight to another area with a guy summoning ghosts which can be a bit tricky because it's a more enclosed area but it's not super hard and then you just have to run by some exploding things which sounds hard but it's it's really not um and then you're at the boss. The problem is, if 4-2's world tendency is pure black, um, that empty cliffside I just mentioned is not empty. Oh. There are three, uh, what do they call them, black phantom skeletons, uh, which, for a wizard character like mine, can kill you in one hit. <laughs> And one of which is a type of skeleton I haven't seen before that wields two weapons is really fast, and I've just had no luck getting past. So the the whole problem here is, as you've mentioned, I think before, is the player really has no little to no control over what the exact world tendency is. The world tendency in this, at least if it functions as the original did, and there's no reason to believe it doesn't. Right is a combination of your individual tendency as well as, like, a server-wide thing. Yeah. I have no idea if it was ever made clear how it cycles people out of that, and, like, does it regress to a mean tendency, or does it just, like... Is it eventually going to move towards a wider world tendency by virtue of the fact that white world tendency comes from players succeeding at the game, and eventually that's all the, the only people playing it are people right. who are succeeding at it. But... Uh, there's also just the fact that you don't have, uh, like, the ways to improve your world tendency from black is beat bosses, yep. beat invaders, and beat black phantoms. Yep. There's notably nothing in there that doesn't require you to beat a challenge you are already having difficulty with. Yes. Uh, and, you know, I've tried... I've tried getting summoned help, which resulted in 
Um, both of my summoned companions getting one shot by one of those black phantoms. <laughs> and, and they weren't wizards like I am. They had like armor and, and such. I've tried helping people get beat to the boss, get to the boss. And usually what's been happening is a, someone invades and kills the player and just puts an end to that. And to be honest, I did a few invasions myself on this level because it, it's kind of a good level to do that in because of all the There's a lot of other things reasons. that could be killing you. Yes. So I have a feeling like this has just become sort of a mini PvP hub at this point. And thus every making, Souls game eventually develops one of those. Yes. Thus making the likelihood of this at some point no longer being pure black very low. So yeah. So yeah, not a not a great place to be in. Yeah, not not at all. And the only other level I have that I can do right now is one four, which is like basically I think that's meant to be the last one. Yes, that's basically the last one. That's like the end game. It's very it's a very hard boss. I have did beat it in the original, but it's very difficult. And I could really use like the souls you get from the two remaining bosses in World Four to you know level up a little more and. I could have sworn you were gated from even doing one for until you'd finished all the other ones. No, there's... uh, I don't know when exactly. So one three is gated off until I think you beat a few of the endgame bosses and then it opens up. And when as soon as you are able to to, um, do one three, you can get to one four. And it doesn't seem to get you off other than that. But yeah, so... That's where I am, and I'm probably going to... I might try it a few more times and see if the world tendency changes at all, but I think I'm just going to take a break from Demon Souls for now, because... Um, yeah, it's... This it's, is a bad system, and there's a reason it never came back. Yeah. Uh, if I finish the game at some point, I may be inspired to write a review, because I feel like I should probably get all these thoughts down on paper. Because, <laughs> yeah, most people seem to just, you know overly praise this game and i do not for the life of me get it there's lots there's like i would not not play it because i still think it's a very good game with some issues innovative important video game that maybe needs a lot more caveats than it's usually given yes the the level of praise this game often gets including the remake is baffling to me um (sighs) every every souls game after it improved its systems. I understand maybe there were some cool atmospheric things this one did that the others didn't really do, but other than that, it's it, it's all up for me. <laughs> You've been playing other Souls games now too. Yes. At least based on what you just what you asked me last night. Yes. So uh, I have already started. I I told you that once I was done with uh, Demon Souls be that by beating it or being done with it. By hook or by crook. I was going to start working on the two white whales of souls for me, which is Bloodborne and Dark Souls 3. So You've started with the easier one. Yeah. So I started with Dark Souls 3 and made a fresh wizard character because I kind of went off the rails with my original one and I also I don't (laughs) want to play it on PS5. So Started a fresh wizard character. Seemed to be going well. I got summoned help in the first area, which I had trouble with in the past. Helped me beat the boss. Got zipped through that nice and quick. Um, 
got through the next area, did not kill the evil tree. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that tree. But I'm going <laughs> to circle back to that because I think I remember I've done that before. You did. I watched you do it. Yeah. But so, yeah, I'm now already up to the road. Was it the road of sacrifices? Road of sacrifices, which I think is like the fir- the swamp. Yeah. Or it like leads to the swamp. It's like, like that. the flooded, the flooded woods. It's basically a swamp. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and the area Which is one of the better swamps in the series yeah. from largely being optional and just sort of being like, if you know where to go, you can just beeline to the important yeah. things. But, <laughs> but that's a good start because the area before it, which is kind of just like an interlude area where you fight some weird zombies that grow wings. Oh, uh, those things are. It's actually an area I've had trouble with before, and I got through it on the first try. So things things are going pretty well, which has me worried. But I also killed that uh, the guy, the like ice monster you have to fight or run by uh, at the bottom of the church and got his sword. So there's that, yeah. So we'll see how that goes. The other, uh, I only played a little bit of Bloodborne, uh, but and that was just to practice, practice using the gun to parry because it's. I think it's something I just gave up on when I was originally playing the game and didn't really use it for its intended purpose. So, oh, all I did was practice. Okay, they're starting an attack animation. I'm gonna fire the gun. Does that work? Yes. What's the exact okay. timing? Here? Yes. And the as I I probably didn't do this enough because the timing seems very forgiving, at least for some of the, the basic mon- monsters. It's, it's designed playing. to, like everything, be something that kind of looks harder than it is. But yeah. Uh, so it's I, like... Oh, God. I was just going to say, I had good luck with that, although I did end up getting killed but i was having good luck and considering the controls are different than other souls games and i had to remind myself of all that uh i thought it went pretty well and this was with my original character with the threaded cane which i've heard is one of the harder weapons in the game so i'm just going to continue on with that character and see how it goes I'm the broke-brained one that always liked the threaded cane And, and i remember liking it too it just i would could not get the hang of that game and maybe maybe i will this time so we'll see i remember my usual loadout was threaded cane for speed and then a weapon that is absolutely at least on initial patch and i don't think they ever patched it hard enough to actually make it any less than the absolute best weapon in the game uh ludwig's holy blade i thought you were gonna say the wheel Oh no, Ligarius's wheel is a is a masterclass weapon. That is a <laughs> difficult weapon to use, and you put yourself at risk every time you use it. As it should be. Uh, Ludwig's holy blade is basically just a regular sword that turns into a great sword when you put a sheath on. Well, that sounds pretty cool. Yeah, it's. Uh, I grabbed it not realizing that it was at least in the initial release the undisputed best weapon in the game. Uh, where uh, do you find yeah. that? Uh, like all weapons, it's something that you like find an emblem that allows you to purchase it. You can get it relatively early, as I recall. We purchased for okay after obtaining the uh, Radiant Sword Hunter badge. You can Damn. purchase it for twenty thousand souls, blood echoes, whatever you want to call yep. them. I actually have the the massive hardcover strategy guide for the game <laughs> that I never really used. Uh, yeah, uh, where is this thing? 
Uh, it's at the Healing Church Workshop. Okay, yeah. So it's relatively early on. Okay. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, other than messing with the Souls games, uh, I have been playing some Yakuza. I finally got to the job system and have faced immediately paralysis of what job, new job to assign everyone. <laughs> That's why I immediately just, like, picked one job like i just like i didn't allow myself more than a minute of contemplation with each character because uh, it was like smart. no i'll think you're going about this yeah <laughs> i did i used most of the uh dlc costumes for the characters <laughs> they were Let's pretty see. cool well Kasuga has like 15 so i'm curious which one you went with but uh, uh i forget but yeah most of the rest of them have like one or two and they're usually like uh suits that other characters in the franchise have used yeah. Uh, yeah. It uh, continues to be good. Continues to be very long. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's very good. Like I and I'm really, I don't usually like this in RPGs. I'm absolutely loving the side quests. Like I did, I was trying to progress the story the other night and randomly ended up trying to save someone's crawfish. <laughs> Oh, that one's great! You get a great, uh, you get a great reward for doing that if you yeah, finished. Yeah, uh, still works. Is it Gumbo doing the second part of that? No, no. You get the ability to summon the crawfish into battle as an as like a summon. Uh, we're, we're talking about a normal crawfish, right? Yes, one hundred percent normal crawfish. Nancy. About like four inches long at most. Uh, something like that. When you summon it, like it. Falls down from the sky onto the enemy's face <laughs> and just pinches. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, I could say it's very good. Um, yeah. Uh, I that that whole side quest was uh, hilarious. Uh, mild spoilers, but you have to save this person's um, crawfish because it's supposedly a beloved pet, and then he's like, "Okay, join me for this meal as we cook, Nancy." <laughs> Yeah, he named the crawfish, which is why Kasuga assumes that it's a beloved pet. Because it's like, why would you name a crawfish you intend to eat? But no, he's like, no, I'm going to eat this. It's a crawfish. What am I going to do with a crawfish? I'm going to eat it. And so you get like the choice. You get told like, listen, if you want me, if you don't want me to eat the crawfish, you're going to have to get me a different meal because this is what I was intending to eat today. So you know. Regular video game side quests. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, like that's the that's the thing that uh, is worth noting about basically every Yakuza game is that like you don't have to do all the side quests, but you got to do at least some of them to really get what makes the series so fun. Because <laughs> the side quests are where the series goes from very dramatic to just utterly wild. And uh, that's where the magic lives. Well, so far I'm loving it, and uh, the dub is helping a lot. <laughs> and it's very good. Maybe I can convince you to play Judgment at least. That has a dub as well. Well, I'm going to play some of the other games too. I, I, I can definitely get by not having a dub. <laughs> I don't think it'll be a big hang-up like, after this one. Once you've gotten, once they've got you. Once, yeah, once they get get you, I feel like okay, I I'm 
get the feeling for the series but yeah the dub is great because the, the voice actors do a great job of all the silly nonsense and just like all the really good you know character moments learning about the characters backstories and stuff it's uh it's crazy how well written these absolute goofballs are <laughs> i'm really impressed it would be it would be impossible for the game to be as endearing as it is if it weren't for the fact that, like, all of the characters are completely incapable of acting like criminals in any real fashion. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, the protagonist became a Yakuza out of misguided loyalty, and that's just, uh, that's just how he is. And... <laughs> That's uh, it's gonna be kind of a running theme, <laughs> but you know, uh, I, I think that the uh, the <laughs> best way to describe any given Yakuza protagonist is basically uh, an uncle who doesn't re- fully get what uh, what they're being dragged into, but it's very is is very nice about it nonetheless. Also, watching the game, you the game you're playing, you look like you really should have just died from that fall. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> but, yeah. So. Uh... Are you crying in the background? Yeah. Yeah, I hear that. But. Uh... Yeah. And meanwhile, uh, I have not uh, played anything that I think would be too interesting. To the audience, a uh, bunch of Devil May Cry 5 to blow off steam while I finish out uh, this semester's uh, work. And uh, also the Kunio Kun bundle that uh, came out on PS4 and Switch not that long ago. Uh, which has a number of games that had never been translated before officially. And uh, it's very odd because um, a lot of a lot of them are very early attempts at injecting RPG elements into things that are not RPGs. And like the most famous of those is, of course, River City Ransom, uh, aka I think it's I forget it's like Downtown Niketsu Monogatari, something like that. Yes. But, uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, but like that—that's kind of the. Uh, the only reason I would bring it up is that there's there's some interesting games in here that are very ambitiously attempting to inject RPGs into Famicom beat-em-ups and producing very strange uh, results. I played the uh, the Jidaigeki-flavored uh, River, River City Ransom spinoff, and that is a weird game, even... Uh, understanding that it's a spinoff of an already very strange game in a very strange franchise. So uh, interesting. Uh, it was on sale when I picked it up. It was like twenty dollars, and for the amount of content, I mean, and the amount of games that they translated for the first time, I mean, I certainly would consider that a worthwhile investment. Uh, yeah, uh, to each their own. Uh, you have to have a high tolerance for. Uh, ambitious but questionable NES games. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's uh, that's games for me. 
Uh, I guess we should maybe move on to a question. Maybe. Probably. We've got uh, we got a couple on on episode one eighty seven, which until approximately two hours before we started recording this was the most recent. Uh, <laughs> so we got one from Strawberry Eggs. I uh, recently learned that the first Resident Evil game takes a lot of inspiration from a lesser known Capcom RPG called Sweet Home. Yeah, uh, if you've ever looked at Sweet Home, uh, for for those in the audience, if you've never looked at Sweet Home. Maybe go look at that, and then go look at RE1, and just maybe compare the loading screen in RE1 to the, like, room transition screen from Sweet Home, which is the most direct homage the series gets. Uh, <laughs> those are uh, pretty blatant. Um, could even be a spiritual successor... Uh, I, I would say it's more homage rather than a successor because, like, it it doesn't play much like Sweet Home. A lot of Sweet Home is wandering around and finding boards to place over gaps in the floor. Uh, Sweet Home is actually a very interesting Famicom RPG that does a lot of things right, but it's also a very unfriendly one uh, that I can't immediately recommend but worth looking up at least a video about to kind of see what was going on with it uh let's see i've also heard that re started as a remake of sweet home it's apparently unconfirmed uh based on your following sentence there's probably a good reason that it was probably never officially a remake uh sweet home itself is based on a horror film of the same name which would have meant that they would have had to worry about licensing and all that but, but at the same time, in Japan, licensing laws are not nearly as binding as American ones. Yeah, but at the same time, I feel like uh, even even at the time, Capcom would have likely wanted a franchise they could just own. Yeah. But, uh, based on a horror film with the same name, I am reminded of other surprising connections between RPGs and other titles and mediums, like... Uh, that of the Megami Tensei meta series starting as a series of light novels. Yep. What other surprising connections, such as RPGs being based on something obscure or lesser-known video games that spawn bigger franchises, do you know of? I mean, the the easy one it feels like is that Parasite Eve was also a novel of some description. I'm not sure if yep. it was an actual one or a light novel. It, it was an actual novel called Mitochondrial Eve. Yeah. And uh, that's probably something to do with like the slightly less stringent Japanese uh, laws around uh, licensing and just not wanting to pursue that license is why Parasite Eve 3 is not called that and it's called The Third Birthday. <laughs> I know that that had spawned a movie around the same time as the first Parasite Eve game, so I would imagine it was a, at least a reasonable success at the time as just a novel. Yeah. I mean, it was a pretty popular thriller novel. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's see. Similarly, if we're talking about literary origins, Nightmare Project Yakata, that I reviewed many years ago, mm -hmm. that was based on not one, not two, but four or five different mis murder mystery novels by the same author. <laughs> As in the backstories for the four different uh, mansions that you visit in the game were all taken directly from the novels that's a cute oh. idea I like that. yeah so you're kind of seeing the follow-up to some of them mm -hmm. 
Uh, I've brought this up before, but it's largely forgotten among English-speaking fandom. But the original... uh, This is, is like, adjacent, but not literally based off a novel. But the original Yakuza Ryugagotoku was written was like its pen was its its script was primarily penned by a novelist who writes a lot of yakuza novels uh and he would stay on to do to assist in the writing of yakuza 2 before exiting the franchise i mean that kind of makes sense you could make the argument that the yakuza series is the godfather of japanese media Mm -hmm. in many ways very similar yeah, it's, uh, let's see, uh, his name appears to be, uh, Hase Seishu. Hmm. Uh, Japanese novelist, known for writing the opposite crime novels. There's not a lot of information on this guy in English. Hmm. His pen name is based on the Chinese name of Hong Kong filmmaker Stephen Chow. Uh, written backwards and rendered in Japanese. That makes sense. But, uh, yep, there's a long tradition of that. I mean, just look at Edogawa Ranpo. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, I'm not sure. Let's see. A few of his novels have been adapted into films such as City of Lost Souls and Sleepless Town. Mm-hmm. Uh, he supervised the story for Yakuza and Yakuza 2. And he apparently won something called the Naoki Prize this just this year. Hmm. Apparently a literary award named in memory of Naoki Sanjigo. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Okay, okay, then. Okay, try this. Um, Going a little deeper here, but, you know, like, especially in the more classic Final Fantasy games, the airships had that one, the particular look to them. Yeah, yeah. And obviously that's taken very much from... Um, Ghibli movies, yeah, which are all ba- they're all basing it off of like some, like a Jules Verne thing. I want to say Robur the Conqueror, Master of the World. I yep. have I have a French copy of that, and the woodcut illustration on the very front shows Robur's airship, and it looks exactly like the one from Final Fantasy III NES. Yeah, that's, I mean uh, that's that's one of those Verne novels that didn't really break out in the English speaking world as much, but. Hey, it's it actually had a movie adaptation with um, um, Vincent Price. Oh man, that sounds awesome! Actually, back in the sixties, uh. yeah. Look it up, Master of the World. So, um, I mean, it's in, in terms of international popularity, it's probably in the B list range. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, it's it's basically impossible to under to overstate how important Jules Verne is to the sci-fi genre as a whole mm-hmm. and you find like it's one of those things where it's like it's more that a lot of the traces of the influences of his work has, have been lost to popular culture as opposed to them having disappeared it's just people don't realize where they're from <laughs> yeah really yeah 1961 movie Master of the World Vincent Price same basic pro, uh, premise, but added elements of ro- intrigue and romance. So basically, a movie. Uh, I mean, it's it's a Jules Verne novel. They have to introduce some sort of elements of intrigue and romance to keep it more interesting. Yeah, I will never I mean, forget. 
I mean, uh, Jules Verne had a particular type of a protagonist who was incredibly serious, stiff upper lip, and possibly, possibly borderline, uh, um, borderline personality disorder. There's a uh, lot of there's a lot of protagonists from Jules Verne that are either like there's protagonists who are completely passive, and then there's primary characters who are. Uh, yeah, personality disorder. Yeah. So um, in the case of Master of the World, the the there were technically three protagonists. Two of them were um, members of this like aeronautics club in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. And they were constantly butting heads over how to, uh, over design issue with this one lighter than air vehicle that the club was trying to design. Mm-hmm. And the entire reason that they got kidnapped in the story was because Rober was like, screw you guys, you don't need lighter than air, look at this thing. And he <laughs> kidnaps them to prove a point. Yeah, that, that sounds about right. And they they spend the entire novel just sniping at each other and just being complete uh, fuss budgets. And at the very end, when they're finally returned to Philadelphia and they're making a big press conference, conference and everyone wants to hear, and they... Their big announcement is that they have found a um, a mid midpoint between their two design philosophies for their lighter than air vehicle, mm-hmm. and everybody's like, "What? Seriously?" What on the earth third are we major character about? of the the third major protagonist is the uh, freedman black servant of one of black butler of one of the the other two characters, who is a much more interesting character. Mm-hmm. And is actually more popular in Philadelphia than either of the master of the two guys, because mm-hmm. he actually ha- he had a very good reputation with the local freedman community, and he was genuinely missed when they were all kidnapped. <laughs> the, the other two guys, not so much. <laughs> yeah, uh, we also, for the, for the record, we were discussing the works of Jules Verne, specifically uh, Robert the Conqueror. Ah, uh, okay. Or for its illustrative influence on the development of airships in anime and video games. Ah. Yeah, which is... uh, It definitely had an influence. It's a big one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Those kind of connections crop up a little more readily, just like the general uh, influence of very... Very seminal works that have slowly uh, trickled their way into how RPGs sort of depicted themselves as far back as they've existed. Okay, try this one. Something that I had not realized about Final Fantasy Legend 3 when I played Mm -hmm. it in English, and it only became really obvious when I was playing it untranslated in Japanese. Yeah. But about two-thirds or more of the place names in that game are Lovecraft references. (laughs) I'm not joking here. They are Lovecraft references. The town that got slowly morphed into sea hags. Innsmouth. Oh, of course. Yeah. Um, the uh, the underground town, the second town that you see in the game, was based off of a, um, like, Elam or something. It was one of, uh, it was like a ruined city in one of Lovecraft's poems. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, all through the game, there's just one... Lovecraft reference after another, and that explains some of the weirder boss designs. So, the, all the extra mouths and things. Does uh, not not a game, but it does sort of remind me of. Uh, I was watching 
a uh, 70s super robot show, Combatler V. And uh, there is a part early on where uh, the, the villainous aliens in this are called the Cambellians. And that's, uh, you know, not, not much going on with that until you realize that almost everything that they reference in the initial, like, paragraphs worth of text describing them is just nothing but references to, like, Western sci-fi authors, and it's hard to ignore those. It's easy to ignore those until it starts talking about Asimov, and it's like, okay, there's no there's no accidents here. You did this on purpose. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, yeah, just a, just a very strange, uh, like, sometimes you'll find those when you're not looking for them. Yep. So... Uh, see trying to think of any other like really surprising connections like this uh, nothing immediately um, oh, random okay. name games in romancing saga 2 hmm every class in romancing saga 2 obviously it has like eight different iterations that you cycle through yeah and each class, the names for the characters in that class are based on various um, themes. So, like, um, there was one pair, male and female, I uh, can't remember which class it was, but the men were all named after American presidents, and the women were all named after the first ladies. <laughs> and then all of the thieves, the male thieves were named after birds, and the female thieves were named after small fuzzy animals. Sure, why not? Just go for it. And... The salamanders were all named after Indonesian volcanoes. Okay, that sounds cool. I like that. And then the martial artist guys were all named after professional wrestlers from the 1970s. I'm very into that. Yeah. Um, yeah, it just keeps on going like that. Um, they all had one or more weird name game references involved. Um, some of the mate, one couple of the mage classes were named after gemstones and the signs of the zodiac and things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and the tacticians were all named after famous Chinese generals from the four from the Three Kingdoms period. Oh, that'll show up a lot. Like any any of like Romance of the Three Kingdoms, uh, Water Margin, or uh, Journey to the West is just going to just keep showing up. Yeah. Over and over and over. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> those, those tend to be overt enough that uh, people tend to notice them even here, so... Yeah. If they're not explicitly based on it to begin with. Yeah. I mean, Suikoden makes absolutely no bones about that. Sure confused a lot of people in the 90s, though. <laughs> <laughs> or for that matter, anything involving Dragon Ball. Yeah, yeah, that's that's part of why you can't really get away with just doing the uh, Japanese transliterated name from uh, Journey to the West for that protagonist. Yeah, because you just end up with oh oh yeah you know Goku. Yep. I mean that's why in Pathfinder the the god's name is Sun Wukong. Yeah, that's that's a little more you can get away with that without immediately invoking a specific Journey to the West uh, takeoff. Yeah. Or um, Jane Yolen's uh, book series, The Dragon of the Lost Sea, actually had Monkey as a character. 
Yeah, there's some other ones that do that. There's like a... There's a... There was a live-action adaptation that got like a British dub in, I forget, God knows what year, probably. But uh, call, that got retitled uh, Monkey Magic, I think, in the... Well, I mean, that's the title in Japan. Too. Okay, I think in Japan it was just called Monkey. Uh, not in Japan. In in the British dub, they just called it Monkey. Because uh, Monkey Magic. Yeah, Monkey I remember magic. that. I mean, that theme song still gets play on the Taiko no Tatsujin games. That, that theme song also showed up in Oendon, too. It was the one thing I wanted to unlock in Oendon, too. It's like, oh, I gotta listen to that. Gotta play that again. Well, it's I... a really catchy theme if you've never heard it. Yeah. I just... Accidentally wandered into a boss room. FYI, as you did, looking for a bonfire. <laughs> to be fair, it's it's Wizbiz versus Wizbiz here. Oh, you got on. He was a stronger Wizbiz. Um, yeah, this is where I got stuck originally playing the game because it's the boss that's strong against magic. I don't even think you're required to kill this thing. Yeah, it's it's true. It's true. But uh, yeah. Let's see. Otherwise, anything else that comes to mind? I mean, there, there's a story about why all kobolds in Japanese RPGs look like dogs. Oh yeah, that's like a first edition D and D thing that just they never cross pollinated the yeah their lizard exactly because I mean back when Final Fantasy was being made they were I mean they ripped the fiends folio off completely. Yeah, they weren't. And that's why you have subtle. ogres and ogre mages in the marsh cave in Final Fantasy One. Um, but yeah, they never updated when Dungeons and Dragons did, and so kobolds were never made draconic. Yeah. I so. kind of like the the fuzzy dogman's version. Yep. But it definitely confused me the first time I read about how kobolds were supposed to look in D&D &D proper. So. <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, other, like, really specific ones are largely escaping me, so I think we'll have to draw a curtain on this one unless Wheels uh, can think of another. I have Matt. This is oh, yeah. I don't know that this is drawn on anything specific, but the whole East series Oh yeah is based, based on, on some... an actual myth. Yeah. <laughs> yeah Every one of the time... lost cities of uh, Europe. Yeah. Yeah. It's a French it's like a French myth, I think, something so, like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's it French and maybe slightly connected with the body that created the Arthurian legends canon. Yeah. Well, like every time that every time I bring that up, people are like, wait, that wasn't something that Falcom just made up. Nope. Nope. <laughs> nope. East is a pre-existing legend that they were drawing from not super heavily, but I mean like just the idea of like there being a law, a special, a magical city yeah. called East. Yeah. I assume that's why East origins has like random French, dialogue yeah. the beginning yeah of the it's game. it's it's heavily connected to Brittany in france yeah and i mean like east always has like one foot in being like a fantastical version of earth so. yeah yeah it's a it, it gives it a bit of a bit of texture even though the city of east is not uh it's just become like and uh, the artifact that the title came from, rather than what it's all about. But yeah, uh, yeah. So uh, that's that's a that's a fun one, a good poll. Uh, yeah. 
See. Probably the one that's least likely to be known. Yeah. Yeah, especially this far out from the original games. <laughs> they don't even deal with East itself anymore. Yeah. Did they yeah. ever to begin with? It's, it's kind of a thing very early. <laughs> but uh, it does remind me of like you can kind of uh, pull it out of some of the initial releases of East or fully titled. East, ancient East, vanished. Mm. Yeah, cat East. Yeah, so that's that's kind of a fun one to look back on. Before we move on, uh, I noticed someone in the chat of Wheels' stream asked, and like we we talked about this last uh, episode, but that had not gone up when. Uh, until a few hours ago, so I don't blame them for not having heard it. Uh, but they had asked, what do you guys think of the addition of the Fuse storyline to the Saga Frontier remake? We're about on. damn time. Yeah. Uh, and it's almost assuredly based off of a... Uh, it largely in line with a novel published relatively recently compared to the game itself. No, not likely. It has been definitely stated to be based off of Benny Matsuyama's Oh, okay, okay, yeah. Yeah, that, that's one of the things I commented on last week is that Japanese news sites are reporting, yes, all of the new material in the game is based off of things that are mentioned or described in Benny Matsuyama's novels for the Saga Frontier collection. Yeah, so it's not it's not some mysterious thing what's in it if you can read enough Japanese to know what's in those. I assume you've never read those, Kaijun? Never got my hands on them. I did read through the ones for Romancing Saga, which were fun. Were they of uh, Were they of any quality? That's the. Well, I mean, it's quality is relative because Japanese and English writing styles are so different at times. Yeah, but I just mean, I mean did you enjoy them? Did you? Think oh yes, they I were did. Good? Yeah, they had some okay. pr- really cool information, world building, things like that. Okay. Yeah. Then I am satisfied. <laughs> but, yeah. So that's uh, that's. Yeah, that's 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 the quick version. We've got a longer version in the last episode. If you care which, to go back, which is currently on the site, so. yeah, it should be on page one right now. Should be um, top of the page one. Yep. Uh, as of this recording, by the time you read this, it will uh, have disappeared from the front page. But, uh, <laughs> but if he's listening on Twitch right now, yeah, it's, yeah. yeah. But yeah, the, you, the people listening to this recording, <laughs> yeah. But, uh, let's see. And this one's from. And then we've got another one for as a comment on the last episode from Kroll. Uh, which publishers do you most trust to get a game right, and why? Uh, I tend to focus more on like dev teams than of individual publishers because publishers can yeah. be really highly variable. But I mean, yeah, yeah. When you when you say pu- variable publishing, I'm thinking like Furyu, where. I currently have a 50-50 success rate on enjoying any of their games. I either love them or I hate them. It's a complete roll of the dice. No, I mean, completely dependent on who's creating the game, because mm-hmm. I've noted that all the games that were originally made for 3DS or Switch from Furyu, I like, and all the ones that were originally made for Vita, I hate. <laughs> Regardless of what system I actually played them on, eventually. Cared less for the uh, Vita team's output. Yeah, I mean, X-Tetra was just awful, and Unchained Blades would have been better with either 
80 like a 300% more story or 50% less dungeon. <laughs> Definitely one or the other. Yeah. So it was one of those games that was made by a group that you know just know absolutely loved wizardry. Mm-hmm. Ugh. Loved the <laughs> gameplay of wizardry. Ugh. Didn't care so much about the story. Huh. Yeah, that that kind of game. Yeah. Ugh. What's up, Wales? You okay? <laughs> wizardry is being mentioned. Yeah. You love that train, yeah, just not with it. But yeah. But to top it off, Unchained Blades, Exit at least, had a cardinal error where it was very obvious that they had somebody making art for like big splash scenes mm-hmm. of various types, and then they were writing scenes to support the art. Just got to fill up that one scene. Mm. Yeah. Regardless of anything questionable actually happening in the art. <laughs> oh. Yeah. So, I I still cannot believe I made it all the way through that game. Yeah. yeah, I mean, of the like, I'm gonna I'm gonna put Nintendo off to the side. They're one of the most consistent uh, actual developers in the world, so I'm gonna put them yeah. off to the side. Yeah, uh, first person development for the world. Yeah. Um, let's see what else. Um, Nipponichi is hit or miss, but usually funny no matter what. They're generally relatively consistent about what they're making at the very least. Yeah. Um, Gust had a low, had a uh, losing streak with the Mysterious Games, but it seems to be back in the ballpark. Yeah, so, they're a very uh, consistent developer for the most part. And like, it's, uh, they'll usually be consistent within a trilogy as well, which is also weird. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, for large publishers, I would honestly say that one of the third-party publishers I have the most like consistent. This will be a good execution of what they're attempting, even if what they're attempting isn't actually worth attempting. Is actually mm-hmm. Capcom. Mm. True. Yeah. Uh, they're they're a very consistent developer. Uh, they are one of the companies that is most public about going back to the drawing board when a project isn't working. Uh, so I, I would say that they're one of those ones that I generally trust. Like, even if they're not making the games I would want, the games that they'll put out will be very good at what they're doing. But... Uh, they don't make a ton of RPGs, although according to that, uh, well, they make Monster Hunter, which is RPG adjacent, and uh, according to that uh, that uh, supposed leak going around, they might be making a Dragon's Dogma 2, which will also probably be very good, and RPG cool. adjacent. Nice. Yeah. What else next? Atlas. I would say their their Mega Ten games are some of the, are very consistent a lot of them are aiming to do different things but actually i think this leads into a question about from on the fire miner list mm-hmm. let's see if i find it yeah, i need to check the podcast channel just to make sure that we didn't get anything recently um Okay. Here we go. Question 44 from Fireminer, leading or connecting to this. 
Mm-hmm. How much risk is Atlas willing to take with Persona, considering that it's now their most important IP, and that the series has been locked in the same premise for a long time now? I mean, uh, it's a pretty good premise, though. <laughs> I feel like it's the case of Persona is likely to stay being what it is now, and if they want to do something else that's similar, they will make a spinoff or a different game entirely. <laughs> I mean, that's generally their MO, is whenever they start producing for a new uh, platform, they come up with a new variation on Megaton. I, yeah. mean, I mean, that's effectively what they did with Persona 3. They just kept the Persona name and made three more games that were completely different from the first three Persona games. Did yeah. Devil Survivor. Yeah. I mean, Devil's, yeah, Devil Survivor DS. Um, Devil Summoner was their attempt to do a, a unified, like, morally consistent story on noir themes. Yeah, and like the Raito games are completely different than the Devil Summoner games on the PS1 and Saturn. Despite being technically in the same timeline. Yeah, same timeline, technically the same series, but I mean, like, the OG Devil Summoner games are like first-person RPG dungeon crawls, much more in line with old-school Shin Megami Tensei. And, and Raiho, Raiho are, is action, yeah. Yeah, action RPGs. Uh, so, but yeah, so thematically I, similar, but pr- uh, practically completely different. Yeah, I, I would imagine that at this point, if they wanted to do... Like, they would have... They would just cook up a new sub-series, because, like, this version of Persona is kind of their bread and, one of their breads and butter at this point. Yeah. It I mean, they might change up some of the place f- with the main line. They might try to change up the formula a bit, and I hope they do, but they're not going to change too much of how it plays because it's just been very, very successful. Yeah, I, w- I would suspect that we will continue to see them be uh, like one city, one, uh, like, calendar based, and based on, like, uh, the psychological underpinnings of society is kind of their th- thematic uh, point for yeah. essentially the foreseeable future. I mean, that's been a major part of the Persona series since one, the first or the second, too. Yeah, that's like that's the most uh, consistent. Like the schedule system is the thing that. Uh, yeah. The, Social links too. Um, yeah. All of the all of the Gakuen mono. Yeah, uh, which I I suspect is going to continue being the case. To the point where any time I now play a game with a Gakuen Mono um, themes, I automatically think that this seems like Persona. Yeah. I mean, Even that's when I English know that it's think. not. Yeah. It's certainly what most English speakers think, because it's like the one that gets localized. Yeah. We've I seen mean, a few put... more games kind of like that in recent years, but... I've played plenty of games in Japan based on well, that. Well, I mean but... in English. In English, no. Um... Hero you, <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, um, it's like I put up the review for Monster Strike last week, and I had to mention that yes, um, this does feel quite a bit like Persona, but it's definitely based on a lot of the same tropes that Persona utilizes, without probably without being a ripoff. Yeah, it's it's yeah. likely that the success of Persona in both America and Japan has increased the prevalence of these elements, but like. Oftentimes they're um, just drawing from the same places rather than being pulled. I mean, if we're talking about if we're talking about Japanese games, those themes and elements have been prevalent for decades. Yeah, yeah. It's just it, they just weren't quite as often connected directly to RPGs. Instead, mm. it was usually some sort of adventure format that may have used some RPG mechanics eventually, yeah. but often didn't. Or were simulation games. 
uh, yeah, yeah. Ta- tactical. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, Sakura Tyson's uh, yeah influence here is uh, something I've I think I've ranted about a few times as well. But, I mean, uh, a couple of years ago when I was going through all my huge uh, pile of PlayStation games just to see what I was willing to get rid of right now, mm-hmm. and I went through one called Circadia, which was effectively Persona without battles. Huh. Interesting. I mean, it felt almost exactly like a Persona game without actual battles. That's one of those things that it's like, it's always a little dangerous because it ends up relying really heavily on, is your writing actually good enough to carry this? Yeah. And apparently it was, apparently it's a fairly highly regarded game. Hmm. Um, If you like 24 year old um, PlayStation first generation uh, adventure games. Yeah. I'm I'm the audience for that for some reason. (laughs) Well, if I ever find it again, I'll mail you a copy or something. Uh, good excuses, any to try to keep boning up on my Japanese. Yep. But, uh, oh, and Wales, I'm still trying to find a copy of uh, Yangus. Uh, good old Thank Yangus. You. Yep. So, I mean, it, it'll happen eventually. <laughs> oh, here, P- PSX Data Center has it listed as an adventure RPG. It is definitely far more adventure than RPG. Incidental RPG elements. Yeah. Oh yeah. It. I almost forgot. Yes, there is a sort of battle section, but it is more of a quick time mini game kind of thing. Mm, that makes sense. It, it's not really built up around that part of the experience. It's just a way to like fit in with certain elements of the story, I'd imagine, rather than something the game's built around. Yeah. However, it is. Yeah. This does. If, uh, if I, I mean, if I wasn't like you know um, completely lacking free time or have or being unable to actually plug in a PlayStation for the last three years because young children, um, I might be tempted <laughs> to finish it out again. But no. It does uh, remind me that uh, speaking of Persona, a question that we answered uh, last week got answered much more definitively for us. Oh. Which is, uh, someone had asked about uh, the possibi- the odds of Persona 5 Strikers uh, coming out in the U.S. around the time that it had been uh, shown to be for sale in Asian territories. And oh, they're yes. like, I oh. mean, it's I was say, That got leaked last week. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody, somebody actually posted a YouTube trailer. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it, it eventually did get like a proper official announcement as well. But yeah. Uh, coming out February 23rd, same as that, uh, Asian, uh, retail listing. And, and just to verify, Dutch. this one is, this one's technically the sequel to Persona 5, right? Yeah, this is the one that, I, I would imagine that they would not call this the, the sequel to Persona 5, because they want to leave that open, because Persona 5 Royal has a different, incompatible sequel hook. But, uh... But it's a, uh... It is a it is a plot that takes place after Persona Five and gets the entire group back together to do a thing. Cool. Uh, However, I still haven't played Persona Five. Yeah, sure would be nice if you could put that on Switch so that you know you put the yeah. sequel to Persona Five on Switch and not the original. Please remedy this, Atlas. Yes. It would. Uh, it would be nice. It would make sense. Uh, 
But yeah, that's coming to Switch, PS4, and Steam on uh, February 20th, 23rd, something like that. It'll be approximately exactly one year after it came out in Japan. And uh, it looks like an RPG with battles that are Muso, so I'm very curious how that actually works. Hmm. (laughs) Uh, Well, hopefully, eventually, my Switch Joy-Con will be fixed. Either that or um, as part of the as part of the um, the um, bit, 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 bit. as part of the thing I had to fill out for it, um, it included a notation. It's like up to how much money would you be willing to allow to be spent before we have to notify you to okay this um, without sending you the bill and. <laughs> And it's like, okay, it's like, out of the option, I'm going to go with the 4,000 yen option here because I'm pretty sure that's about how much a single Joy-Con costs um, in retail value. Mm. So it was like, anything more than that, I'm just going to buy a new one. That would just make more sense at that point. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah it would be... Uh, it would be... It would be nice to just have... Uh, Continually functioning controllers and Persona 5 on Switch. These are the two things I demand. Um, How dare you demand so much? These are my demands. These are our demands. Um, Yeah. So I just wanted to follow up on that since I think we talked about it either this, either the most recent episode or the episode before that. I'm pretty sure it was the most recent one. Okay. But yeah. Uh, and then I feel like we should get back to this uh, question list. Okay. Gotta, let's gotta make Fireminer put put their money where their mouth is. <laughs> so, speaking of which, is the SMT brand now for experimental stuffs? Uh, Will we see another Digital Devil Saga, Devil Summoner, or Majin Tensei? You know, I think we pretty much already covered this in spirit. Yeah, yeah. It's one of those situations... Uh, I feel like it's gonna. I feel like it's less experimental than it once was. Where at one time it was a, uh, it was kind of a thing where it's just like, well, we're making an RPG and we'll see uh, if this, uh, if this weird variant that uses like the same set of art assets. Uh, just remember, as long as it has Jack Frost in it, it's officially Mega Ten. Which is why the first Mega Ten game we got is Jack Brothers, Hee Ho at the Labyrinth. Hee uh, Ho! Yes. <laughs> exclusively for your Virtual Boy. Um, yeah. But yeah, uh, that's that's why. <laughs> but I, I feel like that's cooled down, not, not necessarily because there's no willingness to experiment with it, although, I mean, like, once you've got uh, more successful properties, you kind of keep going with those. But also just because, like, it's. Uh, it's expensive. really expensive to just make a new take on a genre. <laughs> Even if you're reusing a bunch of art assets. So. That's, uh, I think that's, that's really the culprit behind why we see slightly less things like Digital Devil Saga or, mm-hmm. uh, or Devil Summoner or Devil Survivor. We'll probably see another Devil Survivor one day, just that's a... Yeah, just wait until we see exactly what they're going to move into for the next generation. I can't wait for them to announce it, and it's called Rondo 2. 
<laughs> Ronda. Oh no. Ronda. I think I remember looking at that and thinking it should be Ronda, but the Kana I saw looked like Ronda and I was confused. Uh, well that that would be because Ronda is the French word. Oh, of course. And so um the Japanese uh, the Japanese equivalent to that barely there vowel at the end of a lot of words is to make it an o ending and then uh, not pronounce the o very much. Yeah. But yeah, that's that's the the <laughs> Uh, forgotten Majin Tensei game. Forgotten for good reason. Yeah. Because remember, uh, not all of these were successes. Yeah, and also as I've said it before, gonna say it again, maybe the ugliest game I've ever seen in my life. Like, just absolutely hideous. Uh, no real excuses for how it looks. Um, but, yeah. Um... Yeah, uh, I, I would I would laugh uproariously if we got another strategy RPG Megami Tensei spinoff and it was uh, Ronda 2. And everybody would be going, what's with the title? Where, where did the first one go? Oh lord, why did I look up the first one? <laughs> or just a remake of Ronda. Oh man, we, we will rescue it from itself. But yeah, it, it's happened before. I mean, look at Saga. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. Uh, other otherwise, like we might see a Devil Summoner again, but I mean, it would mostly just be them reusing a name. I doubt we would get like a Rido uh, Devil Summoner or, or even like a Soul Hackers Devil Devil Summoner again. I think we would get something that was unrelated. <laughs> yeah, and it would probably uh, the most I could see it doing is being like, well, this is our action RPG brand now. <laughs> yeah. They don't really do a lot of those, so it would be some. There would be a point, a, a section of the market that it could be used for, that they don't do a lot of. Same reason, like that, I would bet on us seeing a tactical RPG uh, SMT spinoff, even if it's not called Majin Tensei or Devil Survivor again. Let's see. Uh... See, I can't remember if we did this question. I'll check. Uh, let's see. Okay. Fireminer would hold that we did not do, we have not done this question, and it's not in my records as us having done it, so I'll uh, hit this real quick. Uh, related to the last question, this was question 42 about individual game directors. Related to the last question, with all the scandals coming out of both big budget and uh, Ubisoft and indie developers name uh, redacted uh, because of tragedy and hellishness, uh, do you think the interaction between individual developers and their company uh, and their companies with the fans becoming increasingly mediated through PR departments is a way to avoid scandals? I mean, a PR department exists to avoid scandals. I was going to uh, say that's kind of the point, especially with the current. Um, scandal going on with cyberpunk. Yeah, there's there's a lot of that. Yeah, I don't I don't want to touch that any further, other than oh hell lord. Um, but uh, it's like, yeah, somebody's getting their heads rolling on the carpet for that. Yeah, there's there's a lot that went into the uh, many things going on there, but uh, the just just in general, this kind of thing is like really this year has mostly shown how bad most game companies actual PR departments are at stopping this kind of thing. 
Yeah. Uh, like, there's really nothing... Uh, there's really no excuse for a lot of these things to have happened uh, if they give any sort of credence to both PR and legal in this case. But I mean, like PR was trying to keep you from knowing the inner workings of Ubisoft or CD project red or any other uh, company embroiled in a scandal. And usually then like, you know, it raises like there are other things PR does that are less distressing, but usually when, uh, PR fails to hide this kind of thing, it's because of an institutional managerial rot, which uh, exists in essentially every major company at this stage. Um, yeah. I, like, I feel like, and this is the this is the lesson I've been forced to uh, live with the entire time, basically, you know, for decades at the stages. If you don't, if you haven't heard about, like, awful business practices in a company it usually just means that you haven't that their PR has department has done its job mm-hmm. like PR and legal have successfully kept anything from coming out as opposed to them not being there but uh, like yeah yeah that's, that's <laughs> it's a depressing subject Uh in general, you would rather that there be better attempts to fix the kind of mismanagement that causes this than to uh, have a portion of the company that's good at throwing a rug over it. But, I mean, it's, it's almost always cheaper to uh, throw a rug over it, so that's what happens. Uh Oh, this got depressing very quickly. Um, very, very quickly. Um, I got killed by a giant crab while you were talking. Yeah, yeah. To add to uh, the, the depression. As yeah. happens. Yes. Listen, that crab wanted it more. Um, <laughs> yeah, but Oh, you said crab. Hit weak point for major damage. That's true. You could. You could. He doesn't know how to flip it over on its back is the problem. Um uh. It's 2006, baby. Yeah, uh, Taylor Genji. Yeah. Oh man, when are when are we gonna get an actual uh, faithful RPG retelling of uh, Genji Monogatari? Mainly never because it's not really an action story. Yeah, but imagine that's never I mean, stopped. At most, it would be uh, like a love adventure game with RPG elements. No, what you want to do is get the Heike Monogatari. Oh, Genji and Heike clans. Yeah, what? Wait, never heard of the Heike one? Oh, I've heard of I've heard of Heike, but only in the process, only under the pretense of bad video games built around it. Around the story or the clan? Uh, I couldn't say because I don't know enough about the story to say whether they were adapting the story or just using uh, the name. <laughs> well, I mean, the the tale of Genji is basically yeah. a soap opera style novel. Yeah. The tale of the Heike is actually a collection of lore and stories passed orally originally through some of the survivors. Hmm. So, but it's got stuff like, um, like Tomoe Gozen came from okay, that. That's a name I've heard. Body. Persona 4, it was one of the yeah. original personas in the game. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
She's also one of the earliest attested female warriors in Japanese cult- in culture history. That makes sense. Yeah. She's also the one where when her husband and their warrior band was trapped by the by the Genji, um, the enemy leader allowed her the... What's the right word? The, uh, he was honorable and polite enough to allow the one woman of the group to leave. Yeah. And she at first she wouldn't do it, but her husband asked her to please survive for him. So she spurred her horse on, went straight through the Genji... Uh, battle group took off two different heads off of two different samurai in <laughs> in passing and rode off into the sunset nice yes and officially she uh, retired to become a nun in a buddhist monastery after that hmm. uh, it was probably the only way that they she could avoid getting assassinated after yeah, that Yeah, that big point it becomes <laughs> like well you just literally assassinated a nun um yeah as long as you stay a nun, we'll just leave you alone and you'll die eventually in obscurity. Uh, yeah, okay, I've looked up where the name uh, Heike Clan showed up in my uh, stupid, stupid brain. Uh-huh. Um, Namco, of all companies, released a bad arcade game called, in Japan, Genpei Tomaden, and in English, the Genji and Heike Clan. Uh-huh. Okay. I- yeah, I don't know what that Japanese title would have to do if that has, like, gives context for why they would call it Genji and Heike clans. And... Because it's the first first symbols of Genji and Heike put together. Oh, that makes sense. Okay, yeah, I get how that would work. Yeah, Genpei. Genhei. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. But, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, that's, that's where that lives in my brain. Uh, never fully connected how it might uh, interrelate to that if it did at all but okay well I learned something uh... <laughs> yeah oh man and all because of uh, Genji 2 Days of the Blade <laughs> that uh, that that E3 press conference is old enough to go to high school now yeah. um <laughs> Where it is, where it is, immediately picked on by every other press conference in high school. Nerd. Um, what? Nerd. Uh, I, I still love that the when they translated contact, they actually took the time to put a joke about it into the the game. That was the that was the time to do it. It was still two thousand six. It was still time. Yep. But uh, let's see. <laughs> Well, so <laughs> Tam has just gone completely uh, ogre from Revenge of the Nerds in our chat, so that's uh, earned. Yeah. <laughs> but let's see. Um, let's see. What other questions do we got? Do you think Yakuza has any impact on the design language of Western open world video games? The Assassins, Creed, Far Cry model still reigning supreme. Absolutely, the like the Ubisoft towers are still the most common uh. mode. Uh, I I would honestly prefer smaller, more intimate spaces. Uh, Ubisoft released three of those freaking games in this rapid succession, and like well, in the space of a month. And what's the, the craziest part about this? I've I've played two you of them bought now. All three of them. Oh, I've bought all three of them. I've played two of them, and presuming the third one is 
as good as I've heard. They're all really good. How are they pumping out these freaking things? I mean, like, if, if, to me, I feel like there is no reason to put all of these out in one year. Like, that no. should, that's, their, their production cycle needs to change so that doesn't happen. Like, even just for the sake of market spacing, I would have probably moved Immortals out of this year. Because, yeah. like, that is the one with no no name value that, you know, probably needs a bit more space and doesn't need a crowded holiday season around it. Uh, but, like, realistically, AC Valhalla and Watchdog Legion... Watch Dogs Legion shouldn't be coming out at the same time either. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, as for the actual... Oh, Wheels just got beaten by a swamp tree man. Um, but, yeah. Uh, as for... Like, I don't, I don't think that Yakuza has had any particular influence on anything outside of Japan, sadly. Uh I think that it's super underexplored to make a very detailed and consistent location. But a lot of companies build their development cycles around like this constant churn of gigantic sets of uh, art assets and like just trying to score people on the novelty of the setting. And so there isn't the kind of confidence and, like, budgetary restraint necessary to be like, no, we're going to use Kamurocho and, like, tweak it every game for the next, like, eight games. Hmm. Like, I don't think that that fits into the design ethos of a lot of Western companies. And, like, I mean, even even Yakuza eventually chafed under that. Like, they would always pair it with other things. And, like, they, they reached a point in Yakuza 5 where they kind of went too far and it was, like, five characters, five tiny like open world districts in different Japanese cities. And like, that's really cool, but it was clear that they were maybe going a bit too far with that. And I was kind of glad when they scaled back. But, uh, I mean, it's definitely one of the strengths of the Yakuza series that they actually have real life locations to base the stuff off of. Yeah. And like, you know, a lot of these things are theoretically based off of real space, but they're, much more loosely based than Yakuza yeah. is with Kamara. Yeah, I was going to say, unlike Yakuza, well, I think it was Yakuza 6, where, like, I, as I keep saying, I was able to locate the the stairs leading down to my favorite bar in Fukuoka in the game. Yeah, it was 5 that had that, but yeah. 5, yes. Oh, yeah, 5 characters, 5, yeah. Yeah, yeah 5 characters, 5 areas. Uh, the the 5 is the only one that has Fukuoka in it. Um, yeah. A bunch of them have a... Uh, a is it Dotenbori uh, district. Yeah. yeah. Osaka. Yeah. And uh, what's the other ones that show up repeatedly? Kamurocho. Yeah, Kamurocho, which is like, I think it's supposed to be Kabukicho. Um, it, it is Kabukicho. And then Dotenbori is Dotonbori in Osaka. And then uh, whatever it is in Okinawa. International yeah. Road in Okinawa. Uh, I forget what they call it in Yakuza. Uh, yeah, it's just called the Ryukyu. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's 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 an Okinawan place. And then, of course, Seven brings us a place that'll probably be reused at least a couple times in Yokohama. Um, 
but yeah, I think that that kind of consistency is uh, something that a lot of Western companies would not be willing to do because uh, rightly or wrongly, the assumption is the audience is coming essentially on some level for novelty of location. And so they don't want to uh, tie themselves to one area that they keep going back to. Uh, Tam asks, why are we watching... Which some of the design philosophy differences. Oh, definitely. Uh, Tam asks why we're watching Demon Souls, uh, and it's just because we all feel like playing Souls games. Yeah, it's, um, also, it's not Demon Souls, it's Dark Souls. Yeah. Dose! The best one. Previously Dark Souls 3, now Dark Souls 2. But, yeah. Um, the best one. We can, you can just call it the best one. No, because uh, I don't actually believe that. Um, <laughs> and I don't but, care. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> So okay. We are deadlocked. Um, but yeah, like uh, the the underlying design philosophy behind Yakuza's open world was definitely it was a mid aughts Sega project of relatively high budget, but that still meant that it was kind of a low budget project. So they didn't the the Kamurocho was designed with the intent of like this is a relatively small area that we can sort of move the plot around in that fits the setting. And then they reuse it. It's like, well, this did better than we expected, but we can also save a lot of money on the sequel by mostly reusing the area. And that, you know, that fundamental difference in why they were created the way they were changes a lot about how they're used, mm -hmm. uh, which I think is a big effect on why, uh, just in general, that very few uh, Western games have really attempted to do that kind of thing. It would be nice to see them because I think that there's a lot of potential in making a space that players are familiar with continually go through uh, changes through time. Uh, Tam brings up in the chat uh, that there shouldn't be issue in reusing things uh, since it can save budget for other things. And yeah, like that's super super useful as long as you're if you haven't tried to build your game player series identity on like here's a new place and you're gonna have to run over every single part of it to find all the garbage yeah uh i think that uh you can even get away with like just rearranging things if you know you uh mm -hmm. you can even get away with just rearranging things if you look at uh something like the the classic example of a game built on old assets uh, Majora's Mask, where they just like here, you have eighteen months to make a game. Good luck. Mm -hmm. uh, so we turn it into Groundhog Day. Yep, we turn it into Groundhog Day, and we just use all of the, we just we, make it a weird, perverse version of the old game. I was gonna say we make it a Groundhog Day that is effectively a fever dream using all the old assets from the first game in weird, really bizarre ways. Yeah, and it's like that's it's hard to come up with ideas that make that idea work, but I think that uh, it would probably make a lot of development cycles a little less uh, concerning, <laughs> to say the least, uh, if the design philosophy wasn't. Uh, I love the image of Wheels just giving up like this. <laughs> I'm um, dealing with some input lag right now. Yep. But I mean, like, that's one of the things that Gust has always been good at is producing assets and then recycling. Yeah. I mean, five games. Yeah. I remember uh, 
when FF7 remake uh, was just about to launch, people there was like this minor controversy about like people looked at the uh, the model for Cloud and they were like, well, if you just change all of these details, it's clear that the base is like the same model as Noctis, and it's like, shit, yeah, the base is the same. Like these these are these are not super different like styled characters, and beyond that, these models are expensive. Yeah, <laughs> like you want so to. You're complaining that your dress-up doll doesn't look or looks exactly the same if you take all the clothes off. It's one of those things like I I am happier when I see a game that is making like intelligent reuse of assets from a prior game because it means that whoever directed it wasn't like some sort of petty tyrant about like, no, we have to do this again. It has to be different. Yeah. Like that's that's not a thing you want people to be. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's uh, it, it, there's there's a lot of stigma about reusing things because I mean, some some combination of the consumer marketing Ouroboros has really gotten itself into the idea that like everything needs to be bespoke and custom for it to be interesting, and that's uh, that's not healthy. <laughs> and like you'll you'll see like. Uh, the the cheats that companies end up having to use to make this kind of thing work, even in like something like Assassin's Creed, uh, see how many times you end up uh, running up a tree in the uh, North America set games. You end up running up a tree that has like a very specific human-sized fork in it that you can perch on and then crawl up from there into a different, slightly higher perch that you can then uh, move on to a branch that is a viewpoint. Kind of hate uh, all those trees. Oh, those trees do get uh, obnoxious, but yeah. like it's it's important to note that like it's it's not feasible to not do this, and it just becomes like how confident are you in what parts you reuse? Uh, and I think in in general, I, I would rather that you be more overt because I think that there's. A lot of I was just get, getting onto this. There's a lot of value in revisiting a place in a game that you have been before that has had things happen to it while you were gone. Mm, and yes. very few games do that other than Yakuza. No, and it was when I, before like a dragon came out, it was interesting hearing like some longtime players of it discuss it. And a podcast I was listening to because they were like talking about their favorite restaurants and how they'd like vanished at certain points in the series, and which is not something you hear talked about in like literally any other game series. I think. Yeah, you get the natural churn of like, well, certain places just I don't know. You could you could come up with any reason. Maybe they're not just not being included. Maybe they yeah. officially went out of business at some point in the game's canon, but. The point is they're gone and you get that kind of melancholy of seeing a place you've seen before and it's not how you left it. Yeah. And like that's a that's a feeling few games can actually replicate. No, and I think it's an approach that should be used more for RPGs because it's really kind of an RPG thing to be able to like to care about the world. Right. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's it's definitely something I'd love to see more RPGs do instead of okay, let's build another brand new giant area 
Yeah. I think uh, like the the medium between this that you get is the we one of our perennial favorites to bring up uh, the trail series. Yeah, each new trails like blank trails of blank trails in blank will use like it'll have you know the the individual like ones that can that who are considered a new Legend of Heroes installment will create a bunch of new assets, but they you know they will then reuse a lot of those from chapter to chapter. And they, they get a lot of mileage out of that same sort of Yakuza. This world, this is more of the same world you're, uh, or like you're seeing a new, uh, the same place occasionally. Uh, but like, you get that sense of like, Oh, there's parts of this that I never even contemplated. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so, you know, I, I wish that this kind of confidence existed. And I'm sure that this kind of thing gets pitched, uh, at least occasionally, because it's like, you know, this on paper makes all the sense in the world. But at the same time, you get into the, uh, like, people approving projects might not have confidence in this approach. Mm-hmm. So, no confidence. No confidence. No confidence. Uh, but, uh yeah, so that would be a thought that springs to mind on how we're probably not going to see a lot of. Uh, we haven't seen a lot of Yakuza influence, and like you know, it's it's making headway in the West. I'm not sure how much we'll see it influence outside of the realm of indie games, where I could see it having a lot more influence. But yeah, uh, I mean, it takes a while for like some influence to take hold. I mean, we're only just seeing our first Breath of the Wild clone. Yeah, right. although its influence has already been feelable on how open-world games are sort of approached. Yeah. But, I mean, we're, we're seeing our first one that's like, there's no denying this. You you would not look at... This game would not look anything like it does without Breath of the yeah. Wild already existing. Although, um, we talked... I think I talked about this last week, and <laughs> it's thankfully the sort of clone I would want to see. Like, take the overall design of this, but, you know, make it your own. Yeah. And, and like, I, I'm not saying in terms of, like, that that's necessarily a bad thing, but I do think that it's reasonable to say that, you know, Immortals Phoenix Rising, the game we're talking about, would not exist as it does without right, Breath right, of the Wild. Right. No, absolutely. Uh, yeah. Um, let's see. Uh, what was I saying? Uh, let's see, question forty-eight is one of those ones that it's like I'm not sure I fully get where you're coming from, Fire Miner. But which one's forty-eight? Yeah, it's all the Hitman all, games. Yeah, I've Hitman never ones. played them. Uh, I have a fair bit. Uh, the for the for the record, the question is: What is your opinion on the recent Hitman games? I think they're very good. I have a weird feeling that there are some kind of confl- common influences between them and modern Square Enix RPGs. I You'd have to you'd have to lay that one out for me because I don't really see it. Hitman is another one that makes uh, the modern ones, especially that are making interesting use of uh, reused assets, where it's a lot of uh, that something uh, will be how to how to describe this. Like they'll they'll have they have a lot of maps where missions can be set, and it's like. Uh, you know, it, it made sense because their their old design ethos was these smaller maps, but they were smaller maps that uh, 
uh, had to be really densely detailed. Uh, and now they've made larger densely detailed maps that give you a lot more freedom about how you do things by virtue of... Wow, rip. Uh, well, I was still alive briefly, but yes, I just got impaled by a giant glowing blue sword. <laughs> yeah. But... Uh, yeah, they, they've made larger, more densely detailed maps because they can't get away from making densely detailed maps because that's what make, makes Hitman games fun. <laughs> uh, is like finding all of the different ways that maps interreact and allow you to uh, pull off hits in very interesting ways. Uh, I mean, like, the uh, as far back as, like... Uh, I remember they, they turned it into a mechanic in the fourth Hitman game, Blood Money. There was like this thing where uh, if you were doing really well, uh, like if you really wanted to pursue like the best possible rank for each mission, uh, Silent Assassin, like the idea was that you were only allowed to kill, uh, you weren't allowed to kill anyone but your target. And uh, if you really wanted to go for it, you had to try to make it look like an accident. And so they had to find all sorts of ways for you to make things look like an accident. Uh, you could, uh, I remember, I think this was actually in the prior game, so it didn't reward you for doing this, but uh, there was a mission that revolved around uh, a stage play that involved some prop guns. You could mess with one of the prop guns so that it would end up killing uh the person it was shot at when it was fired to get your target killed, which was kind of a cute idea. There's a lot of stuff like that. Uh, making it look like someone who was drunk at Mardi Gras fell off of a uh, fell off of a balcony and died, that sort of thing. And it's like that, that's that's neat. I like that. Uh, but that kind of dense detailing is necessary, and I don't think I can think of any Square Enix RPGs that really go for it. So I'm not really sure what the angle here was supposed to be. Maybe Fireminer can follow it up and maybe explain the thesis. Uh, let's see, 49. In case of arcade games like Kadash, D Dungeons & Dragons, Tower of Doom, etc., would it be correct to call them RPG light? Do automatic leveling and purchasing equipments, uh, equipments good enough to constitute... Uh, are, is that enough to constitute a game as RPG light? Uh, yeah, sure. Yeah. Good enough for me. I mean... I mean, there's a reason why I usually refer to RPGs as a gestalt instead of a genre. It's yeah, just, it's, there's... A, it's a mixture of elements that somehow make it work. Yeah. Like it's, it's very much a I know it when I see it sort of thing. And like there's some things that I like the site will cover that I pr personally wouldn't call an RPG. But at the same time, it's like, yeah. you know what? I'm not. It's not a hill I'm ready to die on. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. But yeah, I mean, I'll also say I really like Kadash. Uh, like Kadash, and I like uh, everyone should like uh, Dungeons and Dragons, Shadow over Mystara, and Tower of Doom. But I yeah, they're great. They're still great. Um, I remember playing a game with a friend a few years ago when we when they released those on Steam. We did an online game, and it was one of the most hysterical, ridiculous, and games I've ever played in any game. Because we got to the end, and he was the wizard, and he used all of his good spells uh, on the final boss. But then he was out of things to do, basically, because, like, I mean, he could hit it, but it was not—it was not going to do much. Uh, so he started using his spells that literally did nothing just to piss us off. <laughs> so, like, he cast sticks to snakes like nine times, and that doesn't do anything to the final boss. It just makes the wizard shout "sticks to snakes." Uh, 
and uh, you know some snakes. His like staff turns into snakes for a bit and then doesn't do anything. But he used it like nine times just to piss off. So that was fun. Uh, yeah, I mean, like you know, we a lot of things get lumped into the RPG genre. I mean, like if you just want to bring it up, like I I have no problem with people calling the later Castlevania games are bloodstained RPGs and like those are you know the the addition they have the RPG bits they have are money leveling and equipment and I mean that's that's enough sometimes so you know it's it's one of those things like you know I don't always have the broadest personal definition but I'm also I don't care too much about genres such that I'd be willing to die on the hill either way Unlike some members of our forums in the past. Mm. Let's not. Uh, yeah. The memory is enough. And, uh, it's a silly idea. Um, it's a very silly place. Let's not go there. And we have got uh, the last few uh, questions from the old batch. The old, old batch. That we should. We'll hit one or two and then probably keep a couple of these in reserve just in case. Uh but uh okay here's one that you might be Gaijin might be more equipped to answer than Mayor Wheels just by virtue of the fact that there might be more information about this in Japanese Mm -hmm. Uh, I've heard that the last decade has been rough for Sting but have no idea on the details is this true and what is your opinion of the future prospects of the Department of Heaven franchise I think since this was asked there was actually a re-release of one of the old ones but yeah yeah honestly i don't know much about sting's personal um finances or anything obviously but they did make one of the side story neptunia games noir yeah that was that probably was, one of the good ones that it, that was the one we also liked that franchise. yeah i yeah. reviewed that one it was quite good uh except for some stupid story bits that overused uh Fan service, but other but the actual gameplay was that's, really good. But it's an empty. I was gonna say yeah. that's the series. Yeah. The bits that were not Sting provided. Yeah. But, yeah let's see. Uh, Wikipedia. The English Wikipedia claims that they are involved with some sort of Dokapon spinoff. Dokapon. So. I guess they haven't gone out of business, seemingly. Uh, let's see. Oh, they definitely Doka- have not gone out of business yet. They're still yeah. around. Whether or not they're going to continue with Department Heaven remains to be seen. I feel like the re-release of Yugdra Union implies a desire to do so. Whether there's money to do so is a bigger question. Yeah. Let's see. Okay, yeah. Dokapone up. Infinite roulette. Uh... Is Sting and Aqua Plus and comes out, uh, or excuse me, uh, came out today in Japan. Maybe uh, yesterday, hard to say. December 10th uh, for Switch and PS4. Oh, heavens, I did not realize this is a <laughs> crossover title between Dokapon and Utawarerumono. Dokapon uh, and Otawade. Oh, okay, that's gonna be an interesting one. Yeah, it was not the that was not the finish to that sentence I was expecting when I started it. Um, yeah. So basically, they're doing a spinoff game of two different companies' materials. Whatever keeps the lights on, I guess. 
You know, I didn't realize that they had done Treasure Hunter G for some reason. That kind of fits, though, doesn't it? Yeah. But, I mean, specifically because since um, two of the characters in Saga Frontier are explicitly based off of the main characters from that game. Yeah, yeah. So, um, or at least visually. So, I knew that somebody in Saga Frontier had worked on Treasure Hunter G. I just hadn't realized where else, or who else had been involved. Yeah. Yeah, Square Square's published, Sting developed. Uh, can't say I've ever played Treasure Hunter G, but... Oh, I did. It was a fun game. It was. It's one of those that was very difficult to emulate back in the hmm. day because it had so many random extra chips in it. Oh, that would make sense. That one of yeah, those it was. It was very big news in the emulation fronts when somebody actually managed to break through and make the game playable. The game ROM playable. I wonder if the uh, actual. How to put this? Uh, I wonder if there's any sort of decent English fan translation of that actually. I don't know. I didn't play it. Yeah, I wouldn't imagine you did. Um, uh, I do remember that had. Um, I, the th- random things I remember is like there was a boss that was a giant Rafflesia flower that you fought on, mm-hmm. on top. And then there was this one refused to be referred to as Professor. He was always striking a pose. Mad Scientist Dr. Halo! And also, the, this is also the only game I know of that actually has a Castrato character. Wow. Okay, that's a, yeah. that's a choice. Yeah, is um, I mean, in the religious and musical sense. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, like an actual, um, based off of uh, one of the last Catholic castrati. Yeah. So. Let's see what else did they do? Um, Evolution. Okay. Which is which is very funny when I look. I was looking for an English patch. There is one. And there's like a user review on ROM hacking that's talking about how the game reminds them of evolution. <laughs> it's like, well, that's uh, that's why. Say so they did a wizardry game on Wonderswan Color. Who hasn't? But... At this point, yeah, really. Um, see, of course, Riviera multiple times. Oh, Baroque. Jesus. Uh, a lot of, let's see, a bunch of Baroque, a lot of Baroque, a lot more Baroque than I was ready to process. Yeah. Of course, Igdri. Oh, never mind. They actually did make Utuwade, or they worked on Utuwade Mono, so that wasn't as. Yeah, at least they and worked Dokopon, on. So this is not as weird as it seems at first. Yeah, they they did the PS2 version of Utuwade Mono. Yeah. Looks like the developer of the original game, which I. Based on the fact that it was a Japan-only thing, I assume it was some kind of porn. Uh, Um, Japan-only PC game. Only because of market pressures. Yeah, like it it was... I suppose I should say it had porn in it. (laughs) Yeah. Um, You you actually had to kind of go out of your way on some of the storylines and character um, um, chains to actually get some of that. Mm -hmm. Um, So, I mean, it wasn't one of those games where that's the entire point and you just turn around and oops, more porn. Yeah, it was, it was um, a case of, well, it's expected to be here, so it's going to be here. Yeah, uh, it was, um, there was the minimum amount necessary to make it, to make the PC gamer fan base happy. Yeah, but it appears Which made that, it really easy to port to, P, to PlayStation later on because they could just take out a few minor scenes. Yeah, but it appears that they've been, 
attached to the hip to that franchise since it first came to PS2, so they've got a long history with it. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, Dokapon's uh, their own thing, I think, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it looks like right now they're mostly partnered with Aqua Plus. Yeah, that seems to be what keeps them alive, which, you know, that's nice at least. At least they're alive. Yeah. So, I mean, they haven't really done anything with Atlas. Oh, since, oh 2015. So, massive uh, yeah, reception. Well, that's, that's, kind of around, that's kind of around when Atlas stopped publishing, Atlas US stopped sort of publishing anything from other developers. So. Okay. But yeah, so, I mean, they're surviving as a studio, which is good. They're producing lots of stuff, which is good. It's generally considered good stuff, which is better. Yeah, it's just a question of, do they ever get the chance to go back to the particular flavor of weirdness, the particular many flavors of weirdness that is Department of Heaven? And I, I feel like, it, it again, it does sound like there's desire there, because, again, they did just re-release Ikra Union on... Uh, switch, but I mean, God only knows if there's money there. Yeah. So. Okay. Let's see. Anything else here? So, um, okay. Next few, we may not have enough time to cover. Yeah. But here we go. How about old question four? Did the satanic panic of the late 80s ever affect RPG video games the like the way it affected tabletops. Uh, mostly just by changing the name of Satan whenever he showed up. Mm. Yeah, pro- I mean, by that point, the largest producers of the genre were outside of America anyway. So. Yeah, and like the, it was generally there weren't enough religious overtones for it to matter either way, and like, uh, I mean, like. You could you could rename Satan and just come up with whatever Buck yeah. Wild name you wanted it to have anyway. Yeah, uh, I think I think my favorite is still I think Actraiser calls Satan Tanzra. <laughs> Tanzra is a good name. Like that's that's a that's a fierce demon sounding name that could not be that did not appear anywhere else. Yeah, I mean Tantra is the spiritual practice of seeking power out or seeking enlightenment by basically turning your spirit inside out, I guess is a good way to describe it. It's um, That's probably external. the root of it. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, it's they, the basis they, of Tibetan Buddhism. Yeah, they, they they made just enough change to it that it like you wouldn't mistake someone saying Tanzra for Tantra, and it also... Yeah. Uh, it produces an interesting uh, set of consonants that you don't all usually see together, so... Yeah. Uh, I think that makes it kind of yeah. fun and memorable. And in any case, during the worst of the Satanic Panic, the series most likely to cause the issues were the ones that Nintendo was never going to try and bring over anyway. Yeah. Megaten. Yeah, I mean... Megaten. 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 Megaten, there was was no appetite to try to bring that over until the mid-90s, at which point they were very careful about the ones they were bringing over. But, I mean, like, by the mid-90s, the Satanic Panic was largely... uh... Oh, I mean, the Satanic Panic was over by 90 yeah, it was very much an 80s thing. Yeah. Not yeah, so much that, that Nintendo wasn't going to try to stop you from putting Satan in your games, but... Yeah. 
I, mean, I don't know um, if the noise is getting through on your side. Do you hear it? I don't hear nothing. Uh, okay, because I think somebody in an adjacent part apartment is getting a renovation right now. Mm. Oh, I should probably wrap it up either way. Uh, yeah, it's it's almost it's probably well past Wheels' bedtime. Uh, I had a late coffee, so I'm doing pretty well, uh, actually. <laughs> doing pretty Surprise well by me. Wheels' standards. Yes. But we'll we'll hit this and get moving. Uh, okay. So anyway, let's see. Oh, almost forgot the plug. Uh -huh. So yeah, so uh, yeah, I, I can't forget that, can I? Uh, let's see. Princesses of the Pizza Parlor by Michael Yadi Mizu, available on Kindle and Kindle Unlimited. Um, somebody has been very nice enough to slowly read through episodes two and three on Kindle Unlimited, like between one and 20 pages a day for the last week. I'm kind of curious mm. who this is. Huh. Yeah, I thought it was just random people checking it out and like giving a one or two pages and then leaving it. But no, it's uh, it looks like one person reading one specific book. Huh. That's weird. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> but yes, yeah, so yes, Princesses of the Pizza Parlor, a I'm not quite sure exactly how to categorize it, but I'm going with lit RPG just because it's the closest fit um, <laughs> series of novellas um, about or chronicling the what's it, the misadventures of a tabletop gaming group meeting every Sunday in the local pizza parlor. So, much to the Game Master's dismay, they've decided they're all going to be princesses, so he has to run with it, and it's getting fun. <laughs> um, currently, nine episodes and a side story on Kindle Kindle Unlimited. Probably going to have the next side story out sometime soonish. And hoping to have the third paperback edition available by my birthday. Mm -hmm. Nice. Yes, I've been slowly, slowly, slowly editing through that thing over and over and over again. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. And that's Kindle Unlimited paperback. And look for Michael Yarimizu. Yes. Y-A-R-I-M-I-Z-U. Yep. Because in this age of Google, Michael Baker is impossible to find. <laughs> yeah, so... Modern day invisibility. Uh -huh. <laughs> Listen, yes, anonymity can be nice sometimes. <laughs> you found so much information on me, but is it really me? Well, I always thought you were a... You were a PhD pediatrician from Australia, but I'm not sure now. Um, yeah. I, guess I know again, fun story. My business, from some but, sort of Michael Baker. Yeah. Fun story, but when my wife and I first got engaged, her host dad in Florida decided to run a background check on me. Huh? Good luck. <laughs> yes, exactly. We didn't know about this until he called us up a few hours later to ask if I could help him confirm which Michael Baker on the south side of Oklahoma City I was supposed to be mm -hmm. because he couldn't figure out because there were like 90 of us. Oh my God. <laughs> Just Weird. in the south side of Oklahoma City. We are called the Legion, for we are many. Uh, yes. The Curse of the Michaels. Oi. Yeah. Uh, as but, for the... Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. I was just going to say, as, as for the cast itself, uh, as has been demonstrated, you can put questions in the podcast section of the... Uh, in the podcast section... 
of the Discord, or you can put them in the comment section. Or if you're a brave one like Tam was today, you can start chatting in the stream chat while Wheels is playing whatever garbage he's playing. Yeah, uh, yeah we're usually on Thursday nights. Usually, but today we were Wednesday nights, so you get yeah. <laughs> you get nothing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's unfortunately my fault because my school has gone on short class schedules again, which puts my Friday window a bit too early for wheels to be able to start it yeah. on time. Yeah. Well, I mean, so we're not gonna, we're, we're not exactly in a position to blame. Yeah. It's just, it's yeah. just how things shake out. <laughs> yep. So I do not know exactly if, if, and when this will change or for that matter, which Fridays I am actually working in the foreseeable future. Cause lots of crazy stuff happens in the last two months of the year. I'd imagine of the school year. Um, and at least one week next month, the entire second year of the junior high school is going to Okinawa. How fun times. And those are my only students on Fridays. Ah. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah. But yeah. So that's... Uh... That would be the that would be the cast this week. Uh, thanks everyone. Thanks to Strawberry Eggs. Thanks to Kroll, and thanks to Fireminer for providing questions. And also thanks to Tam for popping up and a couple of other people, but I did not catch your names for popping up in the chat to banter with us. Uh, we always appreciate that as well. So if we do remember to put the. I'll, I'll try to remember to, regardless of what time, I'll try to put a reminder in the RP Gamer Discord that we are going live, just in case we all sometimes forget. Uh, I always forget, let's be honest. Okay. okay, well, I'll try to remember so that I at least have some responsibility here. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, uh, so if you want to catch us live, uh, keep an eye on the RP Gamer Discord, and you might get to listen to us ramble a little bit more. Uh <laughs> Otherwise, see ya, Space Cowboys. See ya. See ya.